Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. And Christian, we're having a bit of a throwback episode here as we record from two different coasts once again. You're spending some time with the Ubius family back in Florida. Hope that you are enjoying a nice visit with them, getting away from some of this terrible L.A. weather we've been having. It's rained like an inch or two. I mean, what are we supposed to do out here right now? I know, it's only rained like three feet here. (laughs) In a way, I'm a little jealous because I do love myself a rainy day, but I don't love myself a humid day. And I've been to Florida. I know. I know how it gets there. Scott, how long was your trip to Florida when you were here? I've been to Florida for about a week, I think three different times. You do not know. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just say, you you don't know, sir. To be fair, I I, I am from Northeast Ohio, which is close close enough to Lake Erie that I kind of know. Like, it gets pretty muggy up there during the summers, but it's not nearly, it's not Florida humidity, that's for sure. But we're not here to talk about Florida humidity. We're here to talk about a major event in a different state. That's right, Utah, the Sundance Film Festival. That, folks, is what we call a segue in the business. That tip is free of charge. And Christian and I are here to wrap up, belatedly wrap up our our January here, looking at some of the movies that we got to watch as part of the virtual Sundance Film Festival. This year, the Fest returned to in-person screenings, but they kept up with their virtual program. Obviously, a great way to bring in some extra revenue, but also just to give more people opportunities to see some of these fantastic movies that are debuting or doing a second second run here at the show. So, Christian, this is your third time participating in the virtual festival, so I'm curious on your feelings about this year's crop of movies compared to previous years. Okay, so this is by far the worst Sundance I've been to. Like, by far. <laughs> Has not been stellar. Um, and it's weird, and we're gonna, we're gonna get to it. There's a negative stereotype to what is considered a Sundance movie. Definitely. Which is that it's in black and white, like, with almost no music, about, like, a broken family. And, or, 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 like, just... I, I don't know. Or the opposite, to... where it's like coming of age, lot, lots of cheery music and cheesy jokes, and everybody learns a nice lesson about friendship along the way, and everybody finds themselves by the end of the 95-minute runtime. I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I just, I just, the, but in, in sometimes it works for me, like Coda works for me. Or Minari works for me. I didn't see it at Sundance, but it is a Sundance movie. Or Cha Cha Real Smooth works for me. Like three of those three movies I love. But there is, I, I don't know. It just felt like there was nothing. Um, well, they, I, there are movies this year that I genuinely, genuinely liked. But I don't think the highs got anywhere near the highs that the past two years were for me. Although this was my first time participating in Sundance... I would have to say that makes sense to me because looking at the the bunch of movies that I got to see with you, which we were only able to spend really one full day together. We had another evening where we got to fit in a couple movies, but really just one big day was focused on the binge watch. 
Uh, we watched a few respectively. We watched on our own, but I only got to see about 10 movies. And it feels like from that group of 10, we didn't get to see some of the some of the movies that were getting the most buzz out of the festival. We definitely fit a few of them in, but part of the way that the virtual fest worked is that you had to claim tickets because they decided to limit who could see what virtually, which doesn't make sense to me, but we claimed tickets for what we could. And I think you made a nice wide selection because it was, you were in charge of it, of course, but unfortunately we did miss out on some of the ones that were getting more positive buzz and we had to take some chances on things. And I think that did leave us in a place where we had kind of a mixed bag but either way, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on your favorites, because we'll be sharing our top fives here on this episode, as well as chatting through just a few of the others that we got to see. How, many, how did the amount of movies for you compare to previous years? I know it was fewer than last year, at least, but how about the previous year as well? I think I saw about the same number of movies as last year, actually. I think I fit in 12. Last year, I did 12. Maybe I did 13 last year. I know my first year, I did 15 or 16. So... um you know, still like more than 10. So it's still a lot. However, I'm okay with the amount that I saw. And I think that I I am desperately wanting to get out there and do this festival in person. You and I have long talked about doing a different festival in person, which I hope we get to this year. Uh, are you referring to Telluride? I am referring to Telluride. I feel like, you know, I, I, if you tell me to, I'll start saving. <laughs> yeah, I cannot make it. I, I was already looking at it, but I don't think I could swing it financially myself. <laughs> but maybe in the future, because I went to the Telluride Film Festival once. It was a fantastic experience. If you ever, you know, movie fans out there, if you ever get a chance to do one American film festival, Telluride is pretty fantastic. So I, I definitely recommend it. But who knows, Christian, maybe we'll get there one day and we'll be able to do Cinema Drip live from Telluride once we've got a few more years under our belt, get some more clout, get the listeners showing up to meet us. It'd be fantastic. All right. With that, can we jump into our list? Let's do it. So, folks, we have not shared these lists with each other. So <laughs> there's a, a chance that somebody's number five is the other person's number one. There's a chance that someone's number one could be the other's least favorite film of the fest. You know... We don't know. We haven't talked this through. It's going to be all all surprises here. But I Christian, think oh, go my ahead. least favorite movie of the festival, I am sure, is in your top five. <laughs> I cannot wait to get there. I, I am so sure. I I will make a, a quick spoiler here and mention that my least favorite film of the festival is a movie that you didn't get to see. So <laughs> I watched it on my own, and so that that bad at least behavior? yes, bad behavior. Was it that bad? Bad behavior, which was written and directed by Alice Englert, who is an actress people may recognize, but her other claim to fame, aside from obviously her, I'm sure, good work as an actress and other things, I'm not super familiar with her, but her mother is Jane Campion, who most people will know <laughs> from her Oscar-winning <laughs> career. Um, she makes a cameo in Bad Behavior that made me roll my eyes, unfortunately, but yes. I, Jane Campion? Yes. <laughs> I was not a fan of Bad Behavior. It follows Jennifer Connelly, um, who plays a child actress who is no longer acting as she goes to sort of this wellness retreat where she gets away into the woods for a while with a guru played by Ben Wishaw, who's, you know, you've, you've seen people like this before, kind of the, the semi-mystical, maybe talking out of their ass, maybe really intelligent and know, know the ins and outs of human mind. He plays one of these kinds of people leading this retreat. 
And simultaneously, Englert also plays a role as Connolly's character's daughter, who is a working stunt woman, and she's working on this movie in New Zealand. And their stories eventually converge after something happens, I'll say, about halfway through the movie, maybe a little bit further than that. But unfortunately, I honestly, I, I thought the movie thematically was a little bit incoherent. Like, I got to the end of it and didn't even really have a guess at what she was trying to say. It felt... Nice. Yeah. It felt very bland. And for the first half of the movie, I had no idea what we were doing with this much screen time being spent with the daughter character. And she's got this whole different thing going on from the mother. And when they eventually do get together, it then becomes about their relationship. And... I don't know. I think if the movie were either more focused on their relationship, it could have worked and they didn't start the movie in different places, but rather start in the same place. And maybe the mom was working on the movie as an actor, or maybe the daughter was at the retreat with her. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't mean to rewrite the script for, for Alice Engler, who's obviously much more accomplished than I am in making movies. It just did not work for me in the slightest. And I was kind of sad because I was excited to see a movie with Jennifer Connelly. Obviously, she was in Top Gun Maverick last year, great in Top Gun Maverick last year even. And I'm excited about the potential of her getting back into movies, but this one did not do it for me. It seemed like some agreed it wasn't one of the most buzzy movies coming out. There were some positive reviews, of course. So if you ever get a chance, listeners, check it out. It just was a real stinker for me. I was really frustrated with it by the time it was over. Uh, let's, let's jump into our list. Let's do it, Christian. We got a little little appetizer there with some bad behavior talk. But now, Christian, let's go to your list and your number five. Lay it on me. Okay, so you have not seen my number five. Okay. It is Alien Subducted My Parents. Now I feel kind of left out. <laughs> That's quite the title. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I went to its Wikipedia page, and it does not have an English Wikipedia page. It only has one in German. So I'm going to go to its IMDb page. <laughs> And the writer is Austin Everett. The director is Jake Van Wagener. Um, It's about a family that moves from the city to a new town. And their eldest daughter, her name is Itzy, who believes that her life is over until she meets a neighbor, Kelvin, who is sure that his parents were abducted by aliens when he was very young um, and is is, is desperately trying to, to search for them, to... To, to get back together with them. Now, let me, let, me, let me paint the appropriate picture for this movie. It is just fun and upbeat. And after all of the other Sundance movies I watched, it was refreshing. <laughs> to, to not be worried about like the internal decay of the human soul or whatever was going on. We watched, we watched a lot of downtrodden movies, a lot of downbeat movies. And I, and I will say, Christian, there was, at the end of Friday, we had watched five movies and we're going to fit in a Six. sixth. Yeah. And you were picking. We were taking turns who got to choose. And you were picking and you were trying to find something upbeat and did not choose this. You picked something else that was definitely not <laughs> very upbeat. And it made me crack up once you texted me to say that you watched this movie and enjoyed it. And it was what you were looking for because Friday was a very depressing day for us, honestly. Now, now I have said before, yeah, Friday was very depressing. I've said before that, um, that some movies don't necessarily, aren't necessarily you know, made for children. This movie is made for children. 
this movie is 100%, it, it's, it, it's a child's movie. But I don't know, some, it, it had more to say about the innate hope that lies within the human spirit than something that else that I saw shot in black and white about a refugee. So I, I recommend it. It's not going to be for everyone. It is well-paced. It's, I don't know. It's just fun. You know, it, it was just a fun time. Awesome. Go ahead and say that title one more time. Cause I'm sure people missed it. <laughs> Aliens abducted my parents and now I feel kind of left out. Hopefully it shows up somewhere. Maybe it gets on a streaming service. It would be great to check that out myself. Oh, this, this, there's no way this movie hits theaters. This yeah. movie would die in theaters. Unfortunately, many Sundance movies do, in fact, go the way of a straight-to-VOD release or an extremely limited release in theaters. So sometimes it can be hard to track them down after the festival if they don't get a ton of buzz, but you never know. And speaking of our search for an upbeat movie that resulted in a movie that was not, in fact, upbeat... <laughs> My number five is the movie we chose, and that movie is A Little Prayer, which is written and directed by Angus McLaughlin, who hasn't made a, a feature in a while, but he did at least write, maybe directed, a movie called Junebug, which got Amy Adams her first Oscar nomination something like 10, 12 years ago. It's been a long time for her, obviously, but it was her one of her breakthrough performances there. And A Little Prayer follows a Southern family where the daughter-in-law and eldest son are living with the son's parents. They don't have any children yet, so it's just the four of them. And the daughter or sister-in-law for, you know, the main woman here uh, comes back to stay with them for a little bit and brings her daughter in tow. And at the same time, the father discovers that his son is cheating on the daughter-in-law and they have a lot of affection for her. And so they are really torn about what to do and how to address this within the family. The, uh, I should mention the father's played by David Strathairn, who a lot of people, if you don't know the name, you'll absolutely recognize him. He was in Nomadland most recently, uh, which people may likely have seen after it won Best Picture. He's been in a lot of movies. And the daughter-in-law is played by Jane Levy, who's been in a few different things. People may recognize her. She is someone who's been in movies for, for a while now. And there are a few other semi-recognizable faces, like Will Pullen plays the son, who is new to me. Um, I I honestly was just moved by this. I it, it felt to me like the very definition of a Sundance movie. It's a small family drama it's got a little regional flavor mixed in you know these these folks are from north carolina it's inspired by angles mclaughlin where he grew up because believe it or not with that name he is not from <laughs> the scottish highlands but north carolina and the performances just really work for me and there's nothing about a little prayer that i think really reaches great heights it's nothing particularly groundbreaking but it really does build to a really beautiful conclusion between Straight Theron and Jane Levy's character. I I just found it extremely solid. And I know it wasn't exactly what you were looking for tonally, Christian, but I found it to be very effective regardless. So that's number five for me, A Little Prayer, which was, I believe, picked up for distribution by, I want to say Sony Pictures Classics. It might be Fox Searchlight. <laughs> it's, it's one of them. I forget which, but... What did you think about A Little Prayer, Christian? This is my least favorite movie of the festival. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Christian. I, I, okay, now, this movie is a victim 
of me choosing it to be last in a day of many heavy movies. Yes, it is. <laughs> there, there's a lot of heavy topics here. Not only do we have this affair, but the, the other daughter comes home. The man's home aggressive. And, yeah, the man's aggressive. The other daughter comes home because her husband is, like, doing drugs, maybe dealing drugs and hitting her. And there's... There's no some other happy. There's some other heavy David topics. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, like the point of the movie is to show that despite how awful his son is, David straight there and is a good dad. Like or like, I don't, I don't know. Well, I think one of the uh, the more interesting pieces about it is he is reckoning with his own legacy as a father, and that's the conversation that he has with his wife behind the scenes and and how he tries to care for yeah. his daughter-in-law. I think some of that there's there is something rich about that as he deals with his own his own son sure. and, and realizes the choices that he made as a young person are now being borne out in his son's adulthood, which I'm sure for a lot of people, his age is a, a huge thing that they think about if they have kids. So that, that part also worked for me as well. I think that for the story, it was trying to tell it was incorporating too many characters. And I think I would have rather, I don't know. Like at one point, his daughter-in-law disappears for like a good chunk of the ending section. It, I, I, it, it was too slow for me, and I couldn't find myself caring enough about the characters to want to continue with this family drama. I, I, and, and I have no desire to revisit it. I will say maybe if I had watched it under different circumstances, I would have been more positive on it. But it, it, it is my least favorite movie of the festival. Well, that's sad. But that means that some of the movies I love more will not get hated on by you, Christian. So what is your number four? So my number four, I, I, I know you have it on your list. It's sometimes I think about dying. It is on my list. I won't say so where. Do you want me to say my piece and then we'll talk about it? Or, or do, you want, do you want us to wait until we get to yours? Let's, let's wait till we get to it. It's higher on my list and I look forward to, to talking about that one. All right. Let's go to your number four then. So my number four, I'm curious to see if it's on your list. It's Cat Person. So Cat Person is my number three. Oh, okay. So fantastic. Do you want to talk about it now or wait? Yeah, wait, I mean, my number three is next. So yeah, let's talk about it now. Oh, oh, duh. <laughs> that makes sense. Perfect. So, Cat Person is written and directed by, or excuse me, directed by Susanna Fogel, written by Michelle Ashford, based on a short story of the same name, and follows a brief relationship between Margot, who's a college student, and an older man that she starts seeing named Robert. Margot is played by Amelia Jones, who a lot of people will recognize from Coda. And Robert is played by Nicholas Braun, who most people may know cool as... Cool people will know from Sky High. <laughs> yes. Cool people will know from Sky High. Even cooler people will know him as Ponytail Derek from The Perks of Being a Wallflower. A lot of people might know him as Cousin Greg from Succession. So he's been working for a long time as well. Cat Person got some really harsh reviews by some of the critics at the festival. Others, I liked it. Others, yeah, obviously, it's both on both of our lists. Others liked it quite a bit more. And I will say, the third act falls apart, in my opinion. And I think it goes to some fictional places that aren't covered in the short story. I, I have not read the story myself, so I can't say. But it builds to this not just emotional climax, but really action climax in a way that I just thought was so wrong for what the movie was trying to do. But Acts 1 and 2 are fantastic as we follow young Margot in this relationship trying to figure out, is it, you know, is it worth going out with this guy? And you see her 
the way that Fogel depicts her even mental state as she has conversations with Robert in her head or imagines what he's doing when she's not there with him, I think is, again, it, it just really cinematic in a way where you're actually providing something new to the story here with the film camera that a lot of these, unfortunately, Sundance movies that we watched did not get as visually creative and tried to work on the, you know, the strengths of just the, the writing or maybe the acting. But Amelia Jones is great. Nicholas Braun is great too, playing this character that kind of has to be a blank canvas so we can believe him as a maybe dopey, but ultimately sweet guy, or as this menacing older man preying on a younger woman and trying to use her sexually. He's able to pull off both sides of this person as Margot tries to figure out what's reality with this guy. So I know I've been rambling a bit, Christian. What drew you to Cat Person? Obviously, you're number three. So I have said, I said this while we were watching it, this movie I think would thrive in theaters. And I know you disagree with me. But I think that it is the epitome of a movie that can be memed because it's it's such awkwardness done to such great comedic effect like when when um oh man when margo and robert are kissing and oh, it, oh my gosh it i i i mean i I'm, i can't spoil it because it needs to be seen to believe it really does it looks it's, it's it, something else it looks like he's like enveloping her mouth or like her face he he, he doesn't know how to, the sex scene is so awkward the oh man just he's also not smooth at all and she has these like she has this desire to like change him and make him the perfect boyfriend and this weird balance between awkwardness and comedy and and i i i'm I'm trying to think of the 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 it, it it starts off with this beautiful quote which is um, men's worst fear is that women will laugh at them. Women's worst fear is that men will kill them. And how power dynamics are on display amongst Margot, her friends, Robert, his perception, film as a whole and romantic scenes as a whole. And it was just never dull. Now, the third act is crazy. I actually kind of like how crazy it went in the third act. It also made me the most uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I didn't like it because it, I did not like it because it made some things brutally explicit in a way. Yeah. We're wondering about what Robert's true intentions were or maybe what his true character was. Wondering about those things and seeing it through Margot's perspective was more interesting to me as opposed sure. to having it play out as plainly as it does. Plus, there, there, like I said, there's a sort of action climax that I think was a little bit against the spirit of the movie, and it was maybe trying to create excitement when the central tension was thrilling enough. But I, I, I can I, understand I, I, how yeah. you would like it, so I, I don't think it. I don't think you're crazy. Obviously, it's on both of our lists. So I, I, I think that this filmmaker is able to do cringe comedy very well so i'm 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 positive i recommend i think that wherever i think it got picked up by a streamer i'm not sure actually but i think that it will it will live well wherever it goes i am sure it, that it will also i and i i say it wouldn't crush in the theaters maybe just saying it wouldn't make too much money but i think it would do well 
if it does make it to theaters. I'm sure that it will with Amelia Jones. She's obviously coming off of Coda, which is, it's always nice to be coming off <laughs> being the lead actress and a Best Picture winner. So she was in multiple movies at the festival this year. The other film she was in is called Fairyland, where she plays the daughter of a, uh, a bisexual man growing, and she's growing up in San Francisco in 70s or the 80s, I think, which, again, I saw some positive reviews, some more cool reviews on that one, but she obviously in multiple movies at this year's festival. I'm sure she's going to be in more stuff going forward. So definitely check out Cat Person if it comes to a theater near you later on this year. So let's move on to your number three, Scott. My number three is the very first movie we watched, Christian, and it is Theater Camp. Which, okay, Theater Camp is my number two. Okay, perfect. We're in lockstep here. Theater Camp is directed by the actress Molly Gordon, who people may recognize from movies like Booksmart or Shiva Baby, and co-directed by Nick Lieberman, who I think this is his his first, uh, first anything he's directing here. Also written by the two of them, as well as actors Noah Galvin and Ben Platt. And this is adapted from a short film that the four of them made together. And it follows the three three of them. Nick Lieberman does not act in the movie. So Galvin, Gordon, and Platt all play these theater kids who have grown up and now are working for the camp that they went to as kids. The owner of the camp, who is beloved, has had a stroke or some other kind of medical uh, emergency. So she is not able to run the camp this summer. And it is taken over by her dopey fratty son <laughs> played by jimmy tatro who i'm again somebody that a lot of people will recognize here he's been on he was in youtube back in the day now he does a lot more acting but at the same time as they're trying to keep the camp running without the founder troy also finds out that they are in dire financial straits and so they have to keep the camp open while running things smoothly and having interpersonal drama themselves theater camp plays out like a mockumentary so you'll recognize it similarly to the way that they filmed a lot of sitcoms over the last, again, 10 to 15 years. There's these little interstitials that keep us updated on what's happening behind the scenes. And the camera work is, is very, I wouldn't say non-professional, but I would say it lo-fi intentionally. And this is honestly just a really fun time with the movies. It's really funny, especially if you were a theater kid or if you were a part of the theater world at all. I I did a little bit of theater in high school and some improv comedy in college. And I found so much to laugh at here, especially as the ways that Gordon and Platt especially are making fun of their own careers and making fun of their own personas. And it ultimately builds to this honestly surprisingly good final performance featuring some of the really talented child actors they had to be a part of the story and noah galvin who i will not spoil how he fits in to the final performance but he's fantastic christian obviously once again you have one up to me here and has you have this one spot higher on your list so what worked for you they committed to the bit like that's (laughs) that's the thing they, they committed to the bit Absolutely. this is a dying theater camp that is in dire need of finances and hires a frat boy to lead it. It's fantastic. This frat boy is trying to learn what it means to make, um, I, I don't know, to like connect with all of these. Because he's like the definition of a, you know, a cis heterosexual. Crypto bro. Fr- crypto bro. And I want to say that a lot of these are a lot of these individuals are playing, you know, non-heteronormative parts. And so just like the dichotomy is is wonderful and staggering. And the um, 
you know, like the, the theater is life routine that you can apply to many different things is fantastic. The outcast, who's like the guy that can play football, but who is, <laughs> who, who, who is still cast in this show. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, yes. The final performance is wonderful. And honestly, it's, it it had it was heartwarming and the chemistry the on the chemistry between this ensemble is great is absolutely great also it looks really good like the film and the cinematography looks very good i actually disagree like that was one of the one of the things that held wow. me back from putting this even higher on my list i just i, I don't know I, I think it's intentional obviously and and mileage definitely varies here so Take my words with a grain of salt. I, I just didn't like it looked like they made it in their backyard on their spare time, which is part of part of the aesthetic of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It just that the look is not was not my favorite part. It didn't really detract from it for me, but it felt very different compared to some of the other movies that we watched. Like this felt like a honestly like a <laughs> series of YouTube shorts brought to life almost. Like that was the aesthetic they were maybe going. I for. love that. All right, but but that's okay. So that's my number two. That's your number three. Theater camp. That one was picked by, up by Searchlight, so you'll definitely was, be able to either see it in a theater or watch it on Hulu because Searchlight Fox, owned by Disney, put stuff on yeah. Hulu. So you'll definitely be able to see this at some point. We would both recommend it. I wanted to say the other thing I wish they would have leaned more into was the mockumentary style. We don't really get to see who's filming <laughs> this this fake documentary, and I wish that that person or those people had become a character too. But what can you do? You can only work with what they gave you. No, but again, directed by Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman, and written by Molly Gordon, Nick Lieberman, Ben Platt, and Noah Galvin, and and, and yes, I I think that it will thrive on Hulu. A nice redemption for Ben Platt from Dear Evan Hansen, which was a bit of a <laughs> flop when it came out a couple of years ago. But he also, he's made some other stuff in between now and then, but I, I hope this one gets him back in good graces with people. All right. Um, number two. So we're on you. to my number two. I'm curious what you will feel about this, Christian. I feel like it is going to be off your list, but my number two is Fair Play which is written and okay. directed by Chloe Domont and was one of the biggest debuts at Sundance. It was picked up by Netflix for, I think, $20 million, which I don't know if that was a record, but was extremely high by Sundance standards. Fair Play follows Phoebe Dinevor, who a lot of people will know from Bridgerton, as well as Alden Ehrenreich, who was Han Solo in the Solo movie a few years back, and he's been on a lot of other things. Follows the two of them as they carry out a secret romance, but they are co-workers at a cutthroat hedge fund and therefore have to keep their relationship private. A promotion becomes available. They think it is going to go to the man in their relationship, but in fact, it goes to the woman. Emily rises up over Luke. And so it follows Emily as she tries to hold on to her new position and navigate her relationship with Luke, who is potentially becoming more and more unstable due to some of the pressures he's experienced at work and his feelings, his held back feelings about her promotion over him. This is another movie where the third act did not entirely work for me because again, it ramped up the emotions and the action that we were working with. But the first and second acts were once again, incredibly well done. And 
Dumont manages to create this extremely tense tone as the the bond between these two is tested by this promotion and we really do start to wonder if Luke in his frustration is going to crack or if Emily is going to be found out by the other men working at their firm there are very few women working here she's one of the only ones and she gets this promotion and again a movie dealing with the tensions that can arise from gender dynamics and especially in places where they're traditionally male dominated and it's built on the backs of these great performances from Dinovor and Ehrenreich and I really I feel bad for Alden Ehrenreich because his unraveling is part of what drives the third act and that's the part of the movie that did not work nearly as well for me but obviously I elected enough to include it this high on my list so Christian I want to turn it over to you because I remember you had some problems with the ending as well I'm just curious about your expanded thoughts on the movie now that we've had a few days to think about it it's a movie that made me uncomfortable in the power dynamics between the couple especially in 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 the in I mean we're not going to sugarcoat it in the sexual violence scene because of some choices made um now I think that also I I don't know I I just wish that I had gotten maybe a teensy bit more time with with their relationship to make it believable it it felt like the turn happened kind of quickly for the for the dude um also I I don't like I work I I I mean what's the best way to put this at a finance company, I feel like maybe they would be saying a little bit more about what they do. It just felt like this was copy-paste finance. Personally, I did not care about that at all. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not getting deep into their work that they do, and I think that's for the best because it keeps the movie focused on the relationships between the characters and, and less about the nitty-gritty of what they're doing. And I don't know anything about felt, the world of it, finance. It didn't so. feel that... It didn't... It, it just felt like it needed a little bit more grounding to me either in their relationship or what they actually did for work um those are personal i will say the the sexual power dynamics i i i disagreed with how they were handled it's hard to get too deeply into that because some of it will spoil the the, where this relationship resolves obviously but it's a tricky line to walk and i feel like Domont both has written it carefully enough and directed it clearly enough that I, while I was uncomfortable, of course, at what was happening, I I felt like she did a good job um, handling a heavy topic like this. So, again, this is purely opinion. I, I 100% understand your feelings on it. I, I just think that it was more carefully handled than, than maybe you do. And I will say, I think the beginning is actually just a fantastic job of showing, not telling. And for a lot of starting out writers and directors, that's one of the criminal failings of their early work is that they haven't really mastered that art yet. But this movie opens with the two of them at a wedding, clearly crazy about each other. And it actually ends up with him proposing to her in this kind of goofy way in the bathroom. And they're having just this delightful evening and the next day they wake up they're getting ready for work and she leaves her engagement ring on the table and you're like what is she doing 
And then you realize they part ways before they go to work together. He says goodbye. I'll see you there. He leaves. She gets in. A, she either uh, he either gets in a cab or she walks or you know whatever. They show up at work completely separately. They're kind of making chit chat in the elevator as if they don't. They're not engaged. <laughs> they're not intimate. And that's when we realize that this relationship is secret. This relationship is not to be known by the other people they work with, or else both of them will get in trouble. And I just think that was really fantastically done. It really got me hooked at the beginning of the movie. And and so, yeah, one that I would more heartily recommend than you, it sounds like. But it will be on Netflix at some point this year, and hopefully people check it out. All right. uh, Time for my number one. All righty, Christian. Lay it on me. So... My number one movie of the festival is Magazine Dreams. Wow, Magazine yeah. Dreams. Okay. So Magazine Dreams is a, let's just say, it, it's written and directed by Elijah Burnham. It stars Jonathan Majors. Uh, honestly, it basically just stars Jonathan Majors, let's be honest. Um, where he stars as Killian Maddox, who is a bodybuilder wanting to be the best in the world, and his dream is to be on the cover of magazines. Now, Killian suffers from. Well, it, it, it's it's there's he suffers from something, and we're not entirely sure what it is. He he may have an illness of some sort. He may have. A, a a a struggle that we're not aware of he definitely has a lot of pressure he definitely has um he's socially awkward and has some social anxiety and awful things keep occurring to him and around him he's not put in the best situations or scenarios and he had he definitely has a good chunk of self-loathing now it's a hard movie to watch but it has a phenomenal jonathan majors performance and I think in watching him take this man from bad situation to bad situation is captivating. Watching him try to go through all of all of these hardships and working out and watching while he eats and trying to meet his idol. So in watching him go through all of these different aspects of life and in watching him, I don't know, try you you can't help but you're not necessarily rooting for him but you can't stop watching what he's going through and i think that in this isn't a perfect movie but it definitely is a movie in which i was more bought into the main character than any of the other movies we watched i've been saying for a long time that 2023 is going to be the year of jonathan majors and that was mostly based on the fact that he is, of course, playing Kang the Conqueror in the upcoming Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. He's joining the MCU, and he's also playing the antagonist in Creed 3. So he's participating in two ostensibly huge blockbuster movies here at the early parts of the year. And now he is in a movie that I think could get him some awards attention later on in the year, whenever it ends up getting released in theaters, because he is just that good in this movie. His physique as well is unbelievable <laughs> he's absolutely fantastic. rippling with muscles um it's absolutely fantastic i yeah. i did really struggle with this movie and i think partly it is the how heavy it is and how long it is naturally sometimes movies like that you know they can draw you in for different reasons despite the fact that you're not going to feel great after you watch it but i just really struggled with how 
heavy Magazine Dreams is. And the biggest thing that I identified as part of my struggle with the movie is I think that they are portraying Killian as autistic. And I think that because of his uh, extreme interest in bodybuilding and the fact that he knows uh, an extensive amount of, of facts and trivia about the sport and the people involved in it, he struggles to make deep emotional bonds with other people. He, he often looks away and can't maintain eye contact. And there are some other things, you know, going on with him. He mentions early on that he can hear voices sometimes, and that is not a trait of, of autism. Um, not, yeah. But I, I did struggle with that portrayal. Um, and, and I think it's intentional in a way. They don't out and out say it, so they're not calling attention to that diagnosis. I could be totally wrong. But I do think that that is part of the portrayal because what they're getting at is how, you know, it's it's a riff on something like Taxi Driver or, or Joker. Those are the comparisons I saw about. So there's something wrong with him and you're not quite sure what it is. Yes. So, I, I again, I could be totally wrong about, a, a, you know, autism uh, being something uh, going on with him. But I just struggled with that because it felt like maybe an, an extra layer added to make this character sympathetic at times unlikable at others and they they do say that that was the goal of the movie to to help you feel some empathy for this otherwise unlikable person and it's effective in that way i just think i was really torn about how to feel about what i was picking up on about killian's condition and the length of it all plus some of the extreme things that start to happen to him as time goes by i just really struggled with so I, I can uh, this is one again where I can totally understand how it would rank highly uh, for others but just didn't quite work for me unfortunately right not a movie I disliked I, I, I want to say not a movie I disliked it just sure mild positivity towards it I do think that that there is I think that a lot of people are not going to come out here saying this is their favorite movie but I think that many will come out saying Jonathan Majors was amazing in this yeah I'm almost certain of that he seems to be getting a ton of buzz in even though the movie is not getting a ton of love as as a film he is innocent <laughs> it seems all right and let's let's take your number one which is my number four scott indeed it is it's sometimes i think about dying we finally returned to it so quickly rattle off some of the key players here it is directed by Rachel Lambert, with a screenplay by Kevin Armento, Stephanie Abel Horowitz, and Katie Wright Mead, who it has a bit of a complicated history. It's based on a short film, which was co-written and directed by Horowitz, and that short film was based on a play by Kevin Armento. So, uh, and then Katie Wright Mead was the co-writer for both the short and the screenplay. So some shifting behind the scenes people there but sometimes i think about dying stars daisy ridley she plays fran who's this socially awkward woman who works in a little office in the pacific northwest and her co-workers are very co-workerish you know they're they're goofily cheerful and despite the fact that their job probably means nothing <laughs> to the world at large they enjoy the bonds they have although she can't really connect with them and her equilibrium is offset by a new coworker named Robert, who moves to the area, starts working at the company, and invites her out to go see a movie, uh, just because he's looking to make some friends in this new area. I 
he wants to be more than friends. Well, I don't think it starts that way, but yes, you are right. He, he would like to be more than friends after a certain point. I, again, just in thinking about the movies that we saw at this festival, a lot of them really relied on the strength of the writing or the acting to pull through. But I think Rachel Lambert, again, does something very cinematic here. And as she depicts the title, When Fran Sometimes Thinks About Dying, she gets to really show off some of her visual imagination and some of her creativity and even just create something that's aesthetically pleasing. Uh, there's a whole sequence where something goes wrong in the dynamic between Fran and Robert and she feels pretty embarrassed about it. She goes home and she lies on the floor <laughs> and in something that may be familiar. If you have gone through a bout of depression before, she just kind of can't get up. She just lays there and time passes by. You don't know if it's been an hour or if the entire weekend passes and she just lays there doing nothing. And I think another key player here is actually the composer. The composer here is Dabney Morris, and his music is beautiful, and at times just completely takes the movie over. And in some of these sequences where Fran is pondering or being depressed or, or laying on the floor, his music is the absolute MVP. It's just, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And it's some of those moments of movie magic that come through in this very low budget and low aspirational kind of movie that just totally worked for me in the best way out of the the batch of movies that we watched of course christian this also appears on your list so tell me what what drew you to it because honestly i thought you were going to say this was your least favorite movie of the festival so what drew me to this movie what drew me to this movie is that it's very frank in its depiction of its character of its main character not being all right it it's frighteningly funny at times with with how stark like she'll just imagine herself being eaten like dead and and being covered by insects as she's decomposing in a forest it's 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 very awkward like there were a lot of awkward movies at sundance this year or like scenes that thrived off of them and i think it's mainly just the dynamic that she has with robert of of both giving fantastic performances and both unable to say that they have been sad in life and want to move on, but don't know how to. Um, it's weirdly funny. Like, like <laughs> It is weirdly funny. A lot of office humor from some of the people she works with. And Meg Stalter plays their, like, manager. A lot of people might recognize her from Hacks or her, yeah. her social media presence. And she's hysterical just as this, like... 30 something playing a 50 something <laughs> that's the only way i can describe her character uh th yeah a this, lot of that this office feels like the worst thing in the world it does and all these people are so cheerful despite it <laughs> and, and and i think that's also they they have a comfort in that office so i i would say that those are my main positives for the movie really nice to see daisy ridley again i the only movie of hers that I've seen post or even during Star Wars is Chaos Walking, which she made with Tom Holland. It's this science fiction YA adaptation that just didn't really work. I was not a huge fan of that movie. And it's nice to see her in an indie and doing a different, engaging a different type of acting other than sort of her sci-fi action heroine side. I think she brings some layers to Fran and Fran at one point calls out how uninteresting she is and 
Frankly, Fran is not a very interesting person, but Ridley makes her an interesting character to watch on screen. So definitely one of my favorite performances of the festival as well. So, I mean, no one in this office is really that interesting. <laughs> Unfortunately, not. But ain't that the truth about most of us, Christian? <laughs> Just Amen. not as interesting as we think we are. All right. Um, Those are our top five movies we watched at Sundance this year. So, Christian, why don't you rattle off your list, and then I'll share mine once more. Uh, at five, I have Aliens Abducted My Parents. Now I feel kind of left out. At four, I have Sometimes I Think About Dying. At three, I have Cat Person. At two, I have Theater Camp. And at one, I have Magazine Dreams. And at five for me was A Little Prayer. Four, Cat Person. Three, Theater Camp. Two, Fair Play. And one, Sometimes I Think About Dying. That brings our discussion of the Sundance Film Festival to a close. Uh, a lot of great movies that we did not get a chance to see. Um, but keep your eyes out for the the articles coming out from critics who were at the festival, people who could write things up and got to see more movies than we did. There are definitely a few that I'm keeping my eyes on to hopefully catch in theaters or on streaming later this year. Uh, and Scott, we are entering a new blend. That's right, folks. It's a new month. It's February. And I'm in charge of the blend of the month this month. Christian got our year off with a great start as we looked at all three of Nora Ephron's Oscar-nominated screenplays, two personal favorites of mine and, and one movie that was new to the both of us. Now we get to look at a different iconic writer and director of films because today, as we record this, it is February 3rd, and today is the day that a little movie called Knock at the Cabin has hit theaters. And Christian, you've already seen it, and I'm a little jealous of you, but save your thoughts on it, because we're going to be looking at the films of M. Night Shyamalan, who is one of the definitive American filmmakers of the last 20 years, for better and for worse. He has made some absolute hits, like The Sixth Sense, and he's made some absolute stinkers like The Last Airbender. And we're going to have a good time looking at some of his films this month. And Christian, we're actually going to start with Knock at the Cabin. So I'm, I'm pulling a little bit of a switch up on you. But because that just came out, I want to make sure we can catch some of the zeitgeist here and talk about the new release before going back in time and looking at some of his other films. So doing things a little bit backwards here this month. But we're going to start with the new one. So, folks, go check out Knock at the Cabin this weekend and catch our discussion of it next week. His movies have grossed $3 billion worldwide. You're darn right they have, Christian. You're darn right they have. He is one of the most financially successful filmmakers, and people don't even know it. <laughs> Look, I know, I know that it's not out of the question. I will say, if we are discussing The Last Airbender on this podcast... We're going to have to do it over whiskey or beer or whiskey inside of beer or something. <laughs> Some kind of strong alcoholic beverage to get you through the immense failure of The Last Airbender. It took me like three or four tries to get through that movie the first time I ever saw it. Which and is like it, a 90-minute movie. <laughs> which should say something. <laughs> it's M. Night Shyamalan month here on the show and I couldn't be more excited and we'll be looking at some of his movies that I don't think are considered out-and-out -out failures. A lot more that are either considered positively or have some fans and some critics. So we shall see. But we'll start with the new one. And we'll get Christian and my thoughts on that next week. And until then, if you've reached this point in the episode, thanks so much for listening along, folks, as that is our show. 
there are a few things that you can do to support the podcast. Number one, of course, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review if applicable. Helps us grow on those platforms and reach new listeners. It'd be so amazing to start to get featured by some of these uh, platforms, whether it be big ones like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or you know some of the other uh, podcatchers out there. So anything you can do on the subscription or the reviewing end to help would be greatly appreciated. You can also send us an email to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We are regularly checking that inbox and, and scanning for listener feedback. Would love to get your thoughts on the show or a movie that you want us to cover. If you participated in the virtual Sundance Film Festival, it'd be great to get your favorite of the fest. Or maybe you're a big M. Night Shyamalan fan and you want us to make sure we hit The Village or Signs or After Earth with Will and Jaden Smith. I don't know, but you should write it in and tell us which movies you want us to cover. We'll definitely be looking at The Sixth Sense, so don't worry about that one. But would love to know your thoughts on any other movies you'd like us to cover this month. And lastly, you can, of course, follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? I am actually not that familiar with his body of work, so I am excited for the month. Yeah, same here. We'll we'll share more of our personal experiences with Shyamalan next week once we get to Knock at the Cabin. Alrighty, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>